Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, March is Women's History Month, and to celebrate their contribution to society, this episode will feature movies, television, and music from some very talented ladies. I'm going to start by making a very bold claim. I discovered Adele. Now, I say this with a bit of a smirk, but at the very least, I'm responsible for bringing her to the United States. You see, I was listening to BBC Radio 1 and heard this song called Chasing Pavements. It was amazing. I was working at VH1 at the time, and when the song ended, I stood up and asked my coworkers, have you ever heard of Adele? And they shook their heads no. And I'm like, she's this black soul singer from England. She's incredible. Okay. I didn't do any research. I sent a message to the SVP of Music and Talent, who I was friends with. Her name was Sandy, and the coolest person I've ever worked with. One of the sweetest as well. Always had time for me. When I first went into her office, she had a minor threat vinyl record on a display cabinet. They were a punk band in the early 80s, and had a song called Straight Edge, which was about that movement. So I'm like, you've heard of Minor Threat? And she said, yeah, I'm married to the guitarist. Very cool. Anyway, I let her know about Adele and sent her a video of the song. I'd since learned that she was actually white. A couple months later, she was featured as a VH1 You Oughta Know artist. Then VH1 was having a holiday party and Adele played for us. Now, if you ask any VH1 employee at the time, I guarantee they will tell you revisionist history. They will say that they watched her perform and were amazed by her talent. Couldn't be further from the truth. No one was paying attention. Most were lined up at the bar getting free drinks. But I, my friends, was watching everything Adele did, because I knew that this was a superstar on the rise. She played four songs and left the stage immediately. Even she knew no one was paying attention. I don't think I can sing her praises enough, and I'm proud to say that I've been a fan from the very beginning. Her cover of Bob Dylan's Make You Feel My Love is one of the best. She'll probably be around forever, and I look forward to buying her album, 67. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out and five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Hidden Figures from 2016. So how'd I miss it? 
I intended to watch this movie one weekend, and I had the DVD from Netflix. Yeah, I was still getting DVDs at the time, probably the only one keeping them in business. But I got distracted and ended up sending it back before seeing it. And then it felt like the moment had passed. But everyone involved is so talented that I knew I had to get back around to it. So, here we are. It was directed by Theodore Melfi, who helmed Winding Road, St. Vincent, and The Starling, the last two featuring Melissa McCarthy. The screenplay was co-written by Theodore Melfi and Alison Schroeder, who scribed Christopher Robin, Frozen 2, and Minecraft. It's based on the novel of the same name by Margot Lee Shetterly, and a true story. This is something to look out for. If the Jackson house looks familiar, it was also used in the movie The Help. The feature begins in 1926 at White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. The parents of sixth grader Catherine Coleman have been called in to inform them that their daughter has been offered a full scholarship to West Virginia College Institute. The university agreed to take her early. All the parents need to do is get her there and she's in. The teachers took up a collection to help them out. In her first day in class, a professor asks her to solve a difficult equation on the blackboard, and she does so easily to the amazement of her elder classmates. Fast forward to 1961 in Hampton, Virginia. Catherine, now Goebel, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson are stuck on the side of the road on their way to work at Langley Research Center. They're approached and questioned by a police officer, who initially treats them with suspicion. But when he finds out they work for NASA, he takes pride in the space program and wants a man sent to the moon before the Russians do. He offers to escort them to work so they arrive on time. Catherine G. Johnson is portrayed by Taraja P. Henson, who starred in Hustle and Flow, I Can Do Bad All By Myself, Proud Mary, and the television series Empire. Dorothy Vaughn is played by Octavia Spencer, known for Fruitvale Station, Get On Up, Ma, and won an Academy Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for The Help. And Mary Jackson is performed by Janelle Monet of Moonlight and Antebellum fame. James Webb, administrator of NASA, watches newsreels with the Space Task Group led by Al Harrison. The Russians have a spy satellite orbiting the planet and vow to send a human into space. They fear a nuclear warhead could be next. President Kennedy demands a response. They can't justify a space program that doesn't put anything into space. Al Harrison is acted by Kevin Costner, whose filmography includes The Bodyguard, Field of Dreams, JFK, and won two Oscars for Dances with Wolves. The head engineer, Paul Stafford, is played by Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory, Home, and The Boys in the Band. Feeling the pressure of the administration and waiting on a computer from International Business Machines, a.k.a. IBM, Al Harrison mentions that he needs a mathematician that can handle analytic geometry. His assistant, Vivian Mitchell, visits the West Computing Group, a segregated assembly of African-American women, and asks Dorothy, who had been filling in as supervisor, if anyone can help. She suggests Catherine. Vivian says she'll check out her credentials. She's portrayed by Kirsten Dunst, who is in Little Women, Interview with the Vampire, and The Virgin Suicides. In 14 days, the Mercury 7 will arrive for training, and the work of the Space Task Force will be analyzed and scrutinized. They have to prove they're America's greatest engineers and scientific minds. After testing her abilities, Al announces that Catherine will be double-checking their work, which doesn't make the group receptive to her. 
as she makes a breakthrough regarding the flights of the space capsules, they start to respect her work and contributions as President Kennedy vows to send a man to the moon. Here's a quote without context. Every time we get a chance to get ahead, they move the finish line. Hidden Figures is an inspirational movie, and I think it's poignant at this particular time because we're so divided by political affiliations, occupations, class, that when you see a film which depicts a real-life event where people from all backgrounds work together to achieve an ambitious goal, how can you not feel proud, especially as an American? Whoa, Nelly. I'm getting off my high horse now. The acting is something special. That's not a surprise from the names I mentioned. Taraja P. Henson was great, especially when she reached her breaking point with the Space Task Group. Octavia Spencer is always fantastic. I was really impressed with Janelle Monet, especially since I'd mostly known her as a singer, but she held her own against some pretty big-name actors. I enjoy the performances of Kevin Costner. He's so good at reciting a monologue. There was a speech about how the work they do matters, not only to the space program, but to the wives and families of the astronauts, and to the country. Such a strong moment. It reminded me of his closing statements as Jim Garrison and JFK. Really powerful stuff. I don't normally talk about costume design because fashion isn't my thing, which people who have seen me will know. But I have to shout out to Renee Elric Kalfas for the period piece outfits. Not only that, but there was a differentiation in the color scheme during the characters' personal lives versus their work lives. At NASA, the colors were washed out and muted, lots of whites, grays, very sterile. Whereas in their everyday lives, there were a lot of pastels on the dresses, bold colors in the houses. It's both subtle and noticeable, if that even makes sense. The direction was fairly straightforward, no fancy camera movements, which I prefer. It was filmed in the beautiful state of Georgia. It's always nice when a movie is filmed on a location that isn't Los Angeles or New York, and it captures that southern charm. Now for a little trivial trivia. A professor of mathematics from Morehouse College was hired as a technical advisor to make sure all the equations were accurate. Now that's some task for this movie. If I were in that position, I would just make it all up. Who's gonna call him out? Put an X over a Y, a couple of numbers, put an E in there for fun. The cinematography was captured by Mandy Walker, whose filmography includes Australia, Red Riding Hood, and Mulan. It was edited by Peter Teschner, who worked on The Little Rascals, The Brady Bunch Movie, Dr. Doolittle, and Charlie's Angels. Apparently, he only edits remakes. The score was co-composed by Hans Zimmer, Pharrell Williams, who wrote the music for Despicable Me and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Benjamin Walfish, who scored It and Shazam. The soundtrack features songs by Ray Charles, Miles Davis, Ruth Brown, and The Miracles. The runtime is 2 hours 7 minutes. It had a budget of $25 million and grossed $236 million at the box office. It was nominated for three Oscars at the 2017 Academy Awards. I give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. A lovely film. This is what Hollywood does best telling stories that have gone under the radar, putting a spotlight on true heroes that helped advance American excellence. Damn, when did I become so patriotic? Someone play the Star Spangled Banner. Alphonse! Alphonse! Get on that! If you've seen Hidden Figures and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along... Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. 
It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. I've always been interested in songwriters, and I think it's surprising to some people when they find out who wrote their favorite tunes. I was watching Glow, and the title sequence of the first episode is over the song The Warrior by Scandal featuring Patti Smythe. Great song, catchy as hell. So I went onto Wikipedia to look who wrote the song, and it was by Nick Gilder and Holly Knight. Then, in the last episode of season one of Glow, it featured the song Invincible by Pat Benatar. Another banger. And one that I wouldn't say I forgot, but when you think of Pat Benatar, that's not the first five to seven songs I would list, even though it was the theme of The Legend of Billie Jean. So again, I went onto Wikipedia to look who wrote it, and it was by Simon Klimmy and Holly Knight. So now I'm thinking to myself, who is this Holly Knight? Well, she's a multi-instrumentalist who is in the 80s band Spider and Device, but found more success as a songwriter for other artists. She co-wrote the song Better Be Good To Me with Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin, which would reach number 5 on the Billboard Hot 100 for Tina Turner. A few years later, Holly Knight and Mike Chapman penned The Best, another hit for Tina Turner. They would co-write the monster single for Pat Benatar, Love is a Battlefield. Holly Knight would go on to co-write Ragdoll for Aerosmith, Never for Heart, Change for John Waite, and Obsession for Animotion. For that last one, you'd know it if you heard it, it's got a very memorable keyboard riff. She has also co-written songs with Bon Jovi, Cheap Trick, Hall & Oates, Ozzy Osbourne, Kiss, and Elvira. She also wrote the themes to the television shows Angel and Still Standing. Not surprisingly, she was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2013. I'll post a couple of her songs on the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Glow, created by Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch. I used to watch the original Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which was on Saturday mornings on WPIX in New York. Yes, it was cartoonish and the wrestling was fairly basic but had enough interesting characters to be entertaining. Now, the Netflix series focuses more on the behind-the-scenes creation of the show, casting the actresses, models, and stunt people, and training them to become wrestlers. But where the series shines is the relationships between the characters. It can be extremely funny at times, but there's a good amount of drama. The creators were involved in Orange is the New Black, and in that spirit, it has a talented, diverse cast of strong women. Betty Gilpin is the breakout star of the series. She plays a multitude of emotions. Her character is so angry from being betrayed, and yet she plays this all-American girl gimmick where she has to be perky and happy. You can see how it takes a toll on her. I've always thought she was a great actress, first seeing her in Nurse Jackie, but I'm so impressed with her in this role. And I've seen a bunch of interviews with her, and she's so awkward, funny, and down-to-earth. The rest of the cast is great. If you follow wrestling, you'll know Kia Stevens, who's famous for her in-ring persona, Awesome Kong. She's a surprisingly good actress, and I only say that because I've only seen her as this stoned face heel. It's nice to see her having fun with a role. Sidel Noel is another star in the making. She plays Cherry Bang, a stunt woman turned wrestling trainer. 
I wouldn't be surprised if she was the next action hero. The first two seasons were great on all levels. The third moves a little too far away from the premise for me, but still better than most things on TV. It's a real easy binge and enjoyable every time you watch it. I don't think you have to be a fan of professional wrestling to like the show. You might miss a few references here and there, but it's really a character relationship-driven show, and a great one at that. Glow was on for three seasons, 30 episodes, from 2017 to 2019. The series was renewed for a fourth and final season, but COVID shut down production and Netflix felt like the time between seasons would be too long for fans. I don't know what fans they were talking to. The last episode did tie up a few things, but it still feels somewhat unfinished. I'm hoping they'll do a movie that gives proper closure to the characters and storylines. Get on it, Netflix. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for all the reviews, rants, and random Vivian says she'll check out her credentials. Her credentials? Did I really say that? <laughs> she co-wrote the song Better Be Good to Me with Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin, which would reach number five on the Billboard Hop One Hop. Hoppy, hoppy, hop. Her character is so angry from being portrayed, for being portrayed. No, that's the point of the character, to be portrayed. She was betrayed. Al Harrison mentions that he needs a mathematician that can handle analytical gym. Gym. The analytical gym.